I'm so glad that you're here today. I want to tell you about something that happened a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Um, it was a week or so before I finished being president of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Lisa went with me to Columbia that day, and she had never done that before. She had never kind of seen what I did as president. And that particular day was, was a pretty busy day. Um, on, on that day, I, I think I had three meetings that day. Uh, we hosted the past president's luncheon that day. A past president of the convention had a luncheon for him. So we had those three meetings, past president luncheons, and then I also shot two videos. So it was kind of a jam-packed day. And, and she, she got in the car, and the first thing she said after we got in the car, after it was all over, she said, wow, it's going to be hard for you to leave all of that and go back to being a nobody. <laughs> so I just want you to know Dr. Nobody is back, all right? There's a story in the Bible about a nobody who tried desperately to be a somebody in his relationship with God. He worked at it with all of his might. He gave it everything that he had. He probably advanced farther and faster than almost anybody else in his, uh, of his age. He was driven with the desire to do everything humanly possible to be made right with God. He knew he was a nobody. But he desperately wanted to be a somebody. And so he gave it everything that he had, trying to be right with God. And then his story kind of takes an unusual twist because one day, all of a sudden, he deliberately abandoned it all. Everything he once believed in, everything that he once worked for, everything that he had put his faith in, he suddenly realized it was useless. He suddenly realized there was no merit to it. And he deliberately and willingly just abandoned all of that. I mean, how would you like to find out that everything that you were raised to believe and everything that you dedicated your life to and everything that you were depending on to be made right with God was suddenly rendered inadequate and useless? See, this man was like a lot of religious people today. This man had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but he didn't have enough righteousness to get him into heaven. And that's what he struggled with. He was a nobody. But he desperately wanted to be a somebody, especially with God. Imagine what it would be like to dedicate your entire life trying to be that somebody, trying to make a name for yourself, and then finding out that you've been wasting your time. Finding out that you've been going about it all wrong. And here's the amazing part of the story. When that happened to this man, he was actually happy about it. When he suddenly realized that everything he had lived for, everything he had been taught, everything he had tried to do was really inadequate in his attempt to be a somebody with God, when he suddenly realized that, he was actually happy about it. Because through that jarring experience, he found joy in Jesus. This man, as you know, is the Apostle Paul. And his story is in Philippians chapter 3. Would you open God's Word with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3? We've been working our way through the book of Philippians on Sunday mornings and on Sunday nights. And today we come to Philippians chapter 3. And here's what Paul does in Philippians chapter 3. Paul tells us how anyone can find what he found. He tells us how anyone can find the joy he found in Jesus. 
Now, here's how he starts in chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. You know, words sink in over time. Major truths need to be repeated for emphasis and for impact. So here's Paul as, as a, uh, a former pastor of this church, a man who still had a, a pastor's heart for these people, reminding them of what he's already told them. Reminding them of things they've already discussed, but he understands that words sink in over time. And so he's going over some things he's already taught them before. And then in verse 2, it's a little surprising how harsh Paul gets, how quickly he gets harsh, and we wonder what's going on, because in chapter uh, 3, verse 2, here's what he says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, Paul is not talking here about three different groups of people. He's talking about the same group of people. And again, a man with a pastor's heart is warning the people that he loves dearly, the people he has pastored for, for a while. He's warning them about something. And so the question is, who is he talking about and why is he so angry with them? Well, we could go into a long detail about this, but let me just give you the synopsis of it. Paul is referring to a group of false teachers called Judaizers. They taught basically three things. They taught that if you wanted to be made right with God, you had to earn credit with God by keeping His law. But that's one of the ways that you were made right with God. You earned credit with Him by keeping the law. They also taught that salvation belonged only to the Jews. Salvation is available, they taught, only to the Jews and no one else. And the third thing that they taught is this. If you want to be made right with God and you're a Gentile, it starts with, if you're a man being circumcised, adopting the Jewish faith and the Jewish practice, and then you'll be eligible to become a follower of Jesus, who, by the way, they would say was a Jew. And so they would say, listen, if you are a Gentile and you want to become a follower of Jesus, there's a step you've got to take. You, you've got to become a Jew first, then you're eligible to become a follower of Jesus who was also a Jew. And see, so basically what the Judaizers were doing were that they were mixing works, your own self-righteousness, with, with grace. They were mixing law and grace together. Now, we could go into a lot of detail about that, but I think the easiest thing is just to show you an example of this in Acts chapter 15. Go, go with me to Acts uh, chapter 15. 15. Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to, to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, and here's what they were teaching. Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. They were teaching that a prerequisite for salvation is that that you become a Jew, you become circumcised, you become a Jew, and, and, and unless you're willing to do that, you cannot be saved. So look how Paul responds to this, verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And if you keep reading in chapter 15, you'll see that they had a council at Jerusalem, and they once and for all had to decide how do you become a Christian? Do you have to become a Jew first in order to become a follower of Jesus? And the, the verdict of the Jerusalem council was no. Everyone 
can be saved. Salvation is not limited to Jews. Salvation is open to everyone. And salvation is not by your works. It's by putting your faith in Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. And that was the conclusion of the Council of Jerusalem. Now, if you're a Judaizer, you didn't like that verdict very well. If you're a Judaizer, you can say, well, say what you want to, but we're going to keep preaching what we believe in. And they still believed that you had to be a Jew before you could be a Christian. And so there was this great drama between the Judaizers, who didn't like the verdict, and preachers like Paul, who were talking about grace. Uh, Listen, if you've watched anything on ESPN lately, you've probably seen this kind of drama unfold, haven't you? Uh, If you're a sports fan, football fan especially of the NFL, uh, you've seen perhaps that there's a man named Jerry Jones, who's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, And there's another man named Roger Goodell who is the NFL commissioner. And Roger Goodell issued a ruling about one of Jerry Jones' players and, and, and ruled that he's ineligible for the next six weeks. Jerry Jones did not like the ruling of Roger Goodell. In fact, he so disliked the ruling of Roger Goodell, he seemingly has dedicated himself to making Roger's life miserable and trying to get him out of the NFL, at least trying to stop what he's trying to do, but probably he's trying to get Roger out of the NFL. That's the kind of drama they're having right now, and that's the kind of drama they had in the days of Paul. See, that kind of drama is not limited to ESPN. It's also found in the Bible. There was these Judaizers. Everybody look at my pulpit. You can see these invisible things I've got up here. So, so there, was, there were these, these Judaizers, and they didn't like what Paul was preaching. And they made it their mission to oppose him. In fact, they dedicated themselves to go wherever Paul was going. And wherever he went, they went. Because they wanted to make life miserable for Paul. They wanted to oppose his message. They wanted to, in essence, to steal his converts. It was that kind of drama in the first century. And they followed Paul wherever he went, trying to stop him. These are the people Paul is talking about. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Look at it one more time, and you can, you can hear the anger in Paul's voice. He says, watch out for those dogs. Now, by the way, let me pause right there for a second. Even in today's time, if I were to call you a dog, it's not very much of a compliment, is it? No, you're not very, you're not, you're not very happy if somebody calls you a dog. Paul calls these people, and we could get into why he did that, but he called them dogs, and then he called them something even worse. He said, he said they are men who do evil. Oh, they think that they're good, and they think that they're righteous, and they think that they're God's gift to the earth, but they are, in essence, men who do evil. You can hear the anger in his voice, and then he says, those mutilators of the flesh. They, they preach circumcision, but they're just mutilators of the flesh. And, and again, we ask the question, why is he so upset with them? And the reason he's so upset is because of what's at stake. See, these Judaizers were not leading people to God. They were leading people away from God. They were not helping people find forgiveness. They were keeping people from experiencing God's forgiveness. So Paul warned these people in Philippi and us Essentially, here's what he's saying in Philippians chapter 3. Don't let anyone divert you away from Jesus Christ. That is a good word for all of us, even in today's day. Don't let anyone or anything divert you away from Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we we live in a world where people would love to do that. 
We live in a world where people would love to convince you that there are other ways to God and other religions and other paths and, and maybe something else you need to mix with Jesus. And Paul would say in Philippians 3, and I would say to you today, don't you dare let anybody divert you away from your pure faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in Him alone and no other way. Then in verse 3, Paul explains it to us beautifully, much better than I ever could. He says in verse 3, For it is we, that is we who are we Christians, it is we who are the circumcision. In other words, we are the true people of God. We who worship by the Spirit of God, and underline this in your Bible if you mark your Bible, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. I love that phrase. We glory in Christ Jesus. We boast in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. Can I ask you a personal question? May I ask you a personal question? How are you going to be made right with God? What's your plan? I mean, that's kind of like life's biggest question, isn't it? What's your plan? What's your plan for being made right with God? There's if you boil it all down, you can talk about your approach and your beliefs and all that. If you boil it all down, there's really only two, two ways. Either you have confidence in your flesh, that is in what you can do, or you put confidence in what Jesus did in his flesh when he died on the cross. It's either your flesh or his flesh. Your efforts or his efforts. And that's what Paul is talking about in this verse. For it is... Who, it is us who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul then uses himself as an example to show how futile it is to put confidence in our flesh or in our religion to be made right with God. And here's what he does. I, listen in verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now listen to that verse in the, in the New Living Translations. Yet I could have confidence in myself if anyone could. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now listen, listen. Paul's not being arrogant here. He's actually just doing the opposite, showing that human achievements, no matter how impressive, cannot earn salvation or eternal life with God. And so he lists for us seven things that he at one time took great pride in. He gives us a list of seven things that used to be his greatest accomplishments. The things that he used to, to kind of just take pride in, and, and, and it was just the thing that made him feel good about his chances of being a somebody. And here's what the seven things are. Look at him beginning in verse 5. He says, first of all, I was circumcised on the eighth day. You know what he's saying by that? He's saying, listen, I'm not a someone that was a proselyte. I'm not someone that started out as a Gentile and then became a Jew. Paul says, I want you to know I'm pure Jew. I was born in the Jewish faith and I observed the Jewish ceremonies from the earliest of days from my birth. Then he says, I'm of the people of Israel. Of the people of Israel. His Jewish descent could be traced all the way back to Israel or to Jacob. But if you want to talk about family history and family background. I can trace my family line all the way back to Jacob. It would kind of be like you saying, listen, I can trace our family background all the way back to the pilgrims. Paul said, I can trace my family line all the way back to Jacob and Israel. Then he says, I'm also of the, if you want to get it even more narrow, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. 
you may or may not know that Jacob's favorite, one of his favorite sons was Benjamin. And this was the very tribe from which the first king of Israel came. Isn't it interesting? Do you remember what Paul's name was before he was Paul? He was what? What was the name of Israel's first king? Saul. Very likely he was named after Israel's first king. So Paul says, if you want to talk about family history and heritage and all that kind of thing, I was born a Jew, circumcised the eighth day. Uh, I'm of the people of Israel. I I trace my lineage all the way back to to Jacob. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, the very elite tribe of Israel. I'm part of that tribe. So the first three things is talking about his his birth, his family background. Those are the first three things. My birth, my family background, check, check, check those boxes. Then the next four things, he talks about his achievements. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. What Paul is saying is this. There, in that day, there were many Jews scattered across the world, and as these Jews scattered across the world, many times they adopted the language of the people that they lived around. And so it was not uncommon for a Jew to speak Greek. And, and this Jew who spoke Greek many times kind of lost their ability to speak the native language, Hebrew. And so when Paul is saying here that I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, here's what he's saying. I have retained my Jewish heritage and I still have the ability to speak the Jewish language. I'm not just a Jew, I'm a Hebrew. In the New Testament days, that word Hebrew meant I still know the, Jew, the, the, the Hebrew language. I still follow those kind of customs and I can still speak the Hebrew language. So he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews if you want to talk about accomplishments. Then he goes on to say, beyond that, I'm a Pharisee. I did a little study and I found out that there were only about 6,000 Pharisees at their peak. There were only about 6,000 Pharisees and they were esteemed by most people in that day. We look back on them now as hypocrites, but in that day they were looked upon by Uh, with great esteem because they went to the right schools and they dedicated themselves to keeping the smallest detail of the law. Paul said, listen, if if you want to talk about achievements, man, I'm a Pharisee. I mean, I have dedicated myself to, to the strictest, most orthodox sect of Judaism. I'm a Pharisee. You want to talk about achievements? He says, according to zeal, it's persecuting the church. That is, you know, you know how zealous I am for God? I found, if I found anybody that was not following the Jewish faith, I dedicated myself to obliterating them. I, I, I opposed anybody. I wanted to wipe out all the opponents of Judaism. And then he finally says, and legalistic righteousness, if you want to talk about that, he says, man, I was faultless. There was no demand of the law he did not fulfill. At least outwardly, his conduct, he, he lived by the book. Now, don't miss this. Listen, I, listen, listen, listen. Tune back in. I want to make sure you get this. Hear this. It's not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. Please understand that. It was the good things that kept him away from It was his religion that kept him away from Jesus. And I bet that's true for some of you here today. You've invested so much time and effort in, in keeping the Ten Commandments and being a good person, that it's hard for you to accept that none of that will bring you a step closer to salvation. It's hard for you to wrap your mind around the fact that being a good person and treating people right and and your family history and heritage and all your achievements, it's, it's hard for you to wrap your mind around the fact that none of that will bring you a step closer 
to salvation. It's hard for people to realize that they are simply sinners and they will never be anything more than that apart from Jesus Christ. So if you're, if, here's what I want to say to you today. Everybody listen to your pastor. If you're depending on your family background or your personal achievements or your religion to get you to heaven, can I say to you with the pastor's heart, you don't know Jesus. See, for the first half of Paul's life, his religion kept him away from a relationship with God. Paul was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. Sometimes people say, well, I just believe if you're sincere about what you believe, God's going to let you into heaven. No, you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. So then one day, this man named Paul, one day everything changed for him. I mean... Like that. In one day, all of a sudden, Paul repudiated all of his family history and all of his achievements. In one day, he walked away from all of that. In one day, he decided all of that stuff was useless to him in his quest for God. Let me show it to you, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, that is what I was counting on, whatever I leaned into, whatever it was that that I checked off as assets to me, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul was talking about that day, that day when everything changed for him. He said, well, what changed? Well, we don't have time to read the story, but you can read about it later in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And prior to this, whenever Paul looked at at himself or whenever he looked at others, he felt pretty good about his chances of getting to heaven. Because when he looked at himself and he looked at others, he felt like, man, I stack up, I'm better than most people I know. And so whenever he looked at himself and looked at others, he felt good about his relationship with God until, until the day he met Jesus. And he saw how perfect and how pure and how righteous Jesus was. And he suddenly realized in a moment that his righteous acts were futile. That he would never be able to make himself right with God. He suddenly realized that self-righteousness would never put him in a right relationship with God. And that is the day. Watch this when he turned his back on everything he'd been living for, everything he had believed in, everything he had hoped for, that was the day he turned his back on his religious heritage and his achievements. That was the day he turned his back on all of that and turned to Jesus for forgiveness. Now listen to me, church. It was an instantaneous miracle of God in Paul's life. And it's the kind of miracle that still takes place today if you'll put your faith in Jesus. You see, here's basically what Paul did. Paul gave up trying to be good for God, and by faith, he accepted God's goodness to him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to the point where you've given up trying to be good for God? And instead, by faith, you accept God's goodness to you? He describes it to us in verse 8 and 9. Read it with me. Follow along. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing 
Christ Jesus my Lord. I don't just know about Him, I know Him, and He's not just Christ Jesus, He's Christ Jesus my Lord. I now know Him in a personal relationship. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, that is, all those things that I used to trust in, all those things I used to lean on, all those things I used to depend on, all those things I used to believe in, I have lost all of that for the sake of Jesus. And then he says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. The word rubbish is a kind of a dirty word. I don't mean dirty in the way that some of you perhaps would mean it, but I mean dirty in what he was describing. The King James Version translates that word rubbish. He, the King James uses the word dung. Now, if you're not sure what that is, let me just describe it to you this way. If you were to leave our sanctuary and go across the street into the cow pasture, and you start walking across the cow pasture, it won't be long until you put your foot into some rubbish. That's exactly the word he's using here. That is the word. He said, listen, all of that stuff that I was leaning on, trusting in, using to try to be made right with God, he said, once I met Jesus, I look back on that now, that is just a big pile of rubbish. Pastor, you ought not talk like that. I'm just reading what he wrote. <laughs> but here's the question. Have you ever come to the point in your life where you've accepted the righteousness, listen to, listen to how the words flow, the righteousness that is from God by faith? Comes straight out of Scripture. Verse 8, middle of the verse. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And look what he says in verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. You see, there's your two options. A righteousness of your own, a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Which one are you trusting in? Then he describes it this way. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. It does not come from you. It comes from God. It is, it is not a righteousness that you can produce. It is a righteousness that you receive. It comes from God and it is by faith. You see, this text really is for two different groups of people if you think about it. The original audience, it was written for Christians. People like you and me. It was written for the church at Philippi, and Paul was saying to that original audience, to that church, he was warning them, don't ever add anything to Jesus. He was saying to the people that he loved, church, listen, don't ever add anything to Jesus. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that makes you righteous before God. So don't ever get away from that. Don't ever add to that. Don't ever trust in anything else or lean on anything else. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And that's, that's what he's saying to the church. Then there's another lesson. Paul is saying to those who are still trusting in their righteousness, Paul would say, listen, I'm telling you my story because I don't want you to experience what I experienced. 
at least the first half of my life. I'm telling you my story so you can experience what I experienced in the second half of my life. Paul would say to those who are still trusting in their own righteousness, three words. It doesn't work. He would say, I can tell you from personal experience, it doesn't work. If there was anybody that it ought to work for, Paul would say, it should have been me. Because I had those seven things going for me. I, I had all the things you can imagine. I was a nobody, but I was, I was going full bore trying to be a somebody with God. And I just want you to know, Paul would say, it doesn't work. Now, the same man who wrote this book, Philippians, wrote another book called Romans. And I want you to go to Romans with me real quick. Over to the left, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Here's what he says. What shall we say then? Or what, shall, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? The Gentiles, watch this. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by works. He said, Israel, they, they haven't experienced this righteousness because they're not accepting it by faith. They're still trying to pursue it by their own good deeds, their own works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They stumbled over Jesus. As it is written, verse 33, See, I lay in Zion a, a stone that causes men to stumble, a, a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And then chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for the Israelites is this, that they may be saved. These religious people and these people who are trying to establish their own self-righteousness, he says, my prayer is that they might be saved. Verse 2, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. I've got that underlined in my Bible. They did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone, not just for the Jew, but for everyone who believes. Not everyone who behaves, but everyone who believes. Salvation is not in your behavior. It's not in, I can check all the boxes because I did all, no. Paul says salvation is for everyone who believes. It's not the righteousness that comes from you. It is the righteousness that comes from God. And then look, look how he brings it to a conclusion, verse 9. He tells us how we can experience this. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. I love that. You believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone, not just Jews, anyone who trusts in Him, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
You see, it all comes down to this. This is my outline for you today. Here's the one thing I want you to get. I don't want you to remember. I don't want you to. One thing I want you to remember. Don't want you to forget. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Jesus is God's attempt to reach us. That's a summary of, of the whole chapter. Religion is our attempt to reach God. I'm a nobody and I'm trying to be a somebody. Religion is our attempt to reach God. Jesus is God's attempt to reach you. Same man who wrote Romans and who wrote Philippians wrote another letter called 2 Corinthians. And, and I'm, I'm just going to quote it for you. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. He says, watch, listen in, lean in, lean in. Here's what he said. Thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. I don't know of a better Thanksgiving message than that one. Thanks be to God. Because as I was trying as best I can to be a somebody with God, and I gave it everything that I had, and I was leaning on my family history and heritage, and I was leaning into my achievements, and I was trying as best I could, but my self-righteousness kept coming up short. But thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Because there was a day for Paul when he says, it was the day I met true righteousness and his name is Jesus. And on that day, Paul would say, I put my faith in him and his righteousness rather than in me and my righteousness. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want you to be able to say that on Thanksgiving Day. If you make a list of all the things that you're thankful for, I want that to be at the top of your list. I'm thankful for his indescribable gift because when I could never reach God, he came to me. Bow your heads, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you a question or two before we leave. The question I would ask you is this. Honestly. Honestly. Are you trusting in your self-righteousness? Or in God's righteousness? Is it a, a righteousness that comes from within you? Or are you trusting in a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith? Honestly. See, as I said a moment ago, I, I really believe that some people have a hard time with the concept that all of their good deeds and everything that they've done in church and being baptized and, and their family history, mom and dad are Christians, my grandpa and grandma are Christian, and so that makes me a Christian. No, it doesn't. People have a hard time wrapping their minds around the fact that their good deeds will never make them a Christian. Here's something. You are a sinner. So am I. And your only hope of dealing with the sin that is in all of us, our only hope, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. 
So I, when I was 11, I, I, I stopped trying to be good enough for God. When I was 11, I finally accepted God's goodness to me. His goodness to me was He offered me a relationship with Him, forgiveness and eternal life, if I would pl- place my faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. If you don't know that gift, if you've never received that gift, would you come today and let me introduce you to Jesus? And if you do know that gift, maybe this Thanksgiving season, it's a good time to start and say, Lord, just thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me that I could never do for myself. We do thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.